You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. So I've recently learned of a college professor that has started his class every single semester in the same manner. And he'll take his group of students and he'll divide them in half. And he'll say, uh, okay, we're going to conduct an experiment. But before we do this, I want you guys to just list, and he'll get on his whiteboard or his iPad with the screen behind him, however he does this part, I don't know. But he'll get on there and he'll say, okay, tell me what makes you happy. And so the kids, the students in this room, will, will throw out things that make them happy. Uh, things like, hey, uh, movies, uh, parties, uh, you know, video games, all of these things. They'll just list shopping, you name it, working on cars, all of these things, hunting, fishing, that people are, the kids and the girls, the boys, I know they're young people, but anyway, um, are saying that makes them happy, and they're throwing it on the board, and he's writing these things down, and he's going, okay, okay, that's great. And so this half of the room, for the next 48 hours, do those things. As much as you are able to, as much as your schedule allows, binge on it. Do it as much to your heart's content. On this half of the room, he says, I want you to serve. I want you to do something that contributes. Uh, so here are, here are a list of homeless shelters you could serve at. Here's a list of organizations you could partner with and just show up and be available and love on these people, serve in whatever way. You don't have to be with the people even. You could just be in the kitchen, help them prepare the food. Whatever that ends up looking like, this half of the room does it. And so after 48 hours, we'll get back together and we'll compare notes. So at the end of 48 hours, uh, without fail, this side of the room is ecstatic and joyful and happy, whether they're a believer or not. They're excited about what they did, that something they did mattered, that they contributed towards society, towards their community, towards loving on somebody else in a beneficial way. And this side of the room was like, eh, it's okay. Without fail, they always report back that it's not really that much better. Our lives aren't that much more valuable to us. And Almost all of them always express a jealousy and a desire to wish to have had been on this side of the room. Because they're hearing about this excitement. They're hearing about this desire. Now, I'm not saying all y'all are those kids that want to go binge on the, okay? Just make sure you know I'm not saying about you, okay? But the bottom line is, is that we are created and wired. It is in our DNA to serve. That is who God created us to be, to serve him, first and foremost. And we do that best by serving others. The great commandment, love God, love others. The great commission, go make disciples. Why are they called the great commandment and the great commission? Because those are our priorities of our lives. You see, God has hardwired us to serve him, to serve others. And that is how we are worshiping him. Corey Ten Boom, I think, sums it up very well. 
Some of you may know who she is. Um, I don't have time to go into her story this morning, but Google her. She's an amazing woman. Corey Timboom says this, the measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. It's its donation. So, quick review of our stewardship series here. The first week we looked at what it is, the definition of it. We looked at why we should be one. Defining stewardship is to be a good manager, a minister of God's gifts that he gives us. It's that simple. We're to be the UPS, the FedEx of God's gifts and delivering those to other people. The why we should be a good steward, we were created and designed to be. We see that from the very beginning, from the first directive that God gives man in Genesis 1.28. And it's our best ROI. You guys remember that acronym, a return on investment. There's a 100% guaranteed return on that investment. And being a good steward and worshiping God in this way. And I get that from Matthew 6.20. Last week, we looked at the stewardship of our inner man. How, how being a manager of, of our inner person, our heart, our soul, our mind is important and vital towards this. We looked at it through the prophet of Elijah on Father's Day. And how God used Elijah in amazing ways. And it was because of his stewardship of his inner man. It was because of his obedience to God, being willing to follow him in that. It was because of his prayer life with God. God setting up the stewardship of his inner man through this creek hideout during the famine, through the spare room of a widow, through his cave and wilderness experience even after the amazing feats that God did through him on Mount Carmel. We, see that, we saw that Elijah was an everyday guy, a hairy guy with a leather belt that God used because he was willing to obey and steward, stewarded his inner man well by spending that time in prayer in those times of solitude. So this morning, we're going to look at stewardship in action. Okay, stewardship in action. What are some things that we can do and be good stewards of? And, and we're going to look through this parable in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And then at the end of it, I'm going to just highlight four quick gifts that God gives us, or talents, if you will, to use the terminology of this parable. We all have. We all have these. You're like, well, Matt, I don't have the gift of prophecy. Or Matt, I can't, uh, I'm not any good at evangelism. Or Matt, I'm not, I'm not hospitable. Honestly, I'm just a grump. That's, but we all have these four, Okay. So we're not going to split hairs on some of the others this morning. We can go over that later on in our time together and in future times. But this morning, we're going to look at these four. But if you would, if you're willing and, and able, um, if you're not uh, needing to sit down at the moment, would you stand with me while I read God's Word? Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. 
Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the one who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Verse 22, the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. The man who had received the one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can be seated. So let me draw your attention to a couple of key observations in this passage here. A couple of key observations. So the master in this parable is representative of God. Okay, I think that we're all, we're all probably caught on to that pretty quickly. And God gives us gifts as he decides. He entrusts his possessions to us. They're all his. Remember Romans eleven thirty six. All things, all good things are from God, through God, because of him. So he gives us everything that we have. That is good. He's gracious and good. And then he asks us to join him on his mission. So this Master in the parable is asking these guys to join him on mission in, in taking care of managing, stewarding his possessions for him. The talents in this passage are like the gifts that he gives us. A fun fact about a talent back then, it's estimated that one talent was worth five and a half years of wages. Okay, so that's a lot of money. If you take the average median income of McDonald County, uh, that's somewhere over $200,000 per talent, okay? It's quite a bit of money. The servants, all three of them, they represent God's people. You, me, others. Do you remember in Titus that we are his bond servants? Remember that in that series? The servants' responses to the master when he turns is based on how well they know him. So next, in verses 15, 17, and 18, we see the servants' relationships with their master. We see their individual relationships. We see the first two servants almost identical 
regardless of one having five or two talents to work with, to steward, to uh, invest in, they, they respond immediately and in the same way. Does that, is that indicative of an excitement or an eagerness to serve? I, I think it is. That's what it sounds like to me. You don't, when you're dreading getting to do something, it's not, very rarely do we immediately jump and do it. Now we process, we want to analyze it, we want to think about it, we need to stretch out, we need another cup of coffee. We're kind of dragging our feet, aren't we? No, these are, these are servants who are excited, excited to serve their master. It's immediately in the same way. It's out of love. And then the third servant went off and dug a hole. There's, this, there's a sense of dread and duty there. There's a sense of obligation in this servant's life. And then in the parable, we see that the master returns just as Christ will return someday. And he will want to settle accounts with us. We see that in verse 19. And let me be very clear. If we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior, our payment for our sin has been paid in full. Okay? That has been paid in full. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The evidence of our faith is the stewardship of the gifts that he gives us. Okay, are you tracking with me? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But our lives reflect our faith. And how or much are we really truly surrendered to Christ? If we love Christ and are surrendered to him, there should be evidence in our lives showing that. That evidence through the talents in this, par- this parable look like the talents I'm going to mention today, those gifts of spiritual gifts, the time he gives us, our physical bodies, and our money and our resources. And then in verse 20, if you're tracking in your Bibles with me, that first servant, he, he comes back to him and the master returns. Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more. Has anybody ever had a little child come to you after they've done something well and they're so excited to show you it? And they're just, they're bouncing. Look, 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 look what I did. Do you see? Do you see? Dads, when you get home from work, or is it, are you sometimes bombarded with, Dad, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. There's an excitement because they love you. They want you to be pleased in them. They're looking for that. That is these servants. That is us. And see, these servants knew their master. They knew what would please him. And they're going about his work, and so they're excited to show him what they've done. The second servant responds in the same way, regardless of being five or two. It's not about how many. It's about stewarding what he gives us. And then verses 21 and 23, we see, the, we see the master's tender, loving, and even excited response. Is this not what we all long to hear someday? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge charge of many things. I love this. I love this last sentence. Share your master's joy. 
Are you guilty of thinking that God's up there waiting to catch you doing something wrong like I can be sometimes? He's up there with his demerit pad. Oh, I'll have to talk to him about that one when he's done down there. Oh, uh, we're too often guilty of that. We're too often guilty of that. Share in your master's joy. He's excited to see how you steward the gifts that he gives you. And then the contrast of the final servant, the third servant in verse 24. He also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. Now, his description of the same master, is it lining up with what we're seeing in the responses and the communication with the other two servants and the master? No. And so we can read this and we can start feeling all confused about what's going on here. And, but we've got to dig in. I'll keep saying it. We've got to dig in. As we're reading, we've got to think about putting ourselves in these people's shoes in this time, in this place. Let the scriptures become real and alive to us because they are. They're living and active. This service description does not fit the master's character at all. This is, this is the answer of somebody who does not know him. He does not know him. And so when we hear things in the world and on the news and on social media, of people blaming God for horrible, tragic things, we are hearing things from people who don't know him. In verse 26, his master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. The exclamation point here in this verse is more of an emphasis. Uh, it's not a yelling, so to speak. It's more of a, it's more of a, of a, of a sorrow. It's more of a groaning of, I've given this to you. You have squandered it. There's a sadness for this person. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. As harsh as this answer sounds and seems, there's grace in it. There's grace in it. You see, there's, there's evidence of him being like, hey, at least if you would have put it in the bank, I would have got 0.01% interest on it. Right? It, not much, but something. See, God is giving us these gifts based on what we can handle. And he's saying, I'm not expecting miracles from you because I gave you the gift. I give you the strength, the mercy, the wisdom, the air you breathe, your heartbeat. I give that to you so that you can steward them. And if you would at least do something with it, just do something. Just show up. Show up. Be willing. This Saturday, show up. Be willing. Who knows how God could use you? Vacation Bible school. We need lots of help. Show up. Be willing. If it's one night or every night, show up. Be willing. If it's a neighbor that's going through a hard time, show up. Be willing. He continues in verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. 
For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him, and throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This servant's faith in their master was non-existent or weak at best. And there was no evidence in their life to show that they had truly, fully surrendered to Christ as his Lord and Savior. Thus, where he should go. And yet there's still grace even in that. There's still grace even in that. Because God did not have to give us salvation. He did not. That was his choice, his gift to give us. He does not give us more than we can handle. He does not give us more trial or temptation than we can handle through his grace and his power. He does not give us more gifts than we can handle the steward. He gives us the grace we need in all things. And there's a couple of scripture references there that explain that a little bit more. And let me explain what I mean by there's grace in him putting the servant in hell. I mean, that's, that's what it's referencing there, okay? Kicking him out. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not heaven. And so let me explain why there's grace in this. If we have a close loved one, friend or family member, that something horribly, tragically is done to them. Somebody has come in, taken them, violated them, tortured them, murdered them. Do we want justice? Absolutely we do. We want that wicked, evil person to be put away, or maybe more. Some of us would like to do it ourselves. That's up to God, not us. We desire that, don't we? And yet, we get all up in arms about God judging us and our sin. And the world can get all up in arms about there being a loving God who doesn't allow everybody into heaven. You see, we're contradicting ourselves here. We desire and want justice. If that happens in our life, if somebody does something horrible to us or somebody we know and love, but yet we, God, we ask God to not follow the same pattern. So there is still grace, there is still justice that God does punish sin. Praise God he does, because he would not be God if he didn't. So through this parable, we see the grace of God in action. We see his grace of bestowing gifts. We see his joy in his servants' loving responses and how they steward those gifts. We see the servants who know their master, their, their eagerness and their excitement to present to him the five talents, the two talents, the returns on their investments. And we hear his response to them. Well done, good and faithful servant. Share in your master's joy. And we see the servant that does not know the master. And that servant does have much to fear. 
So let me highlight a few talents, these four talents that God gives us as, as I'm concluding and wrapping it up here this morning. Talents that we all have, and you don't have to be young and healthy to use these. I've recently heard of a story of a, of a lady who was paralyzed and, and could not even speak. Um, and she was aware of what was going on, though. But she was literally a vegetable. And her mind was sharp, but she couldn't speak. And she prayed. She knew the Lord, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. She prayed for the people around her. She prayed for the people at her church. She prayed for her parents. She prayed and prayed and prayed. And God had done amazing, amazing things. She saw prayer after prayer answered. Stewardship of her gift was to pray, to listen and pray. And that was all. And she did it. And God healed her. Okay, this is, if you want to check this out, I'm getting this from the Lee Strobel's new book, The Case for Miracles. And, so, and there's medical evidence of God doing this. If you're the skeptic like I can be and you want to, I are sure you really can, did God really do that? Yeah, he did. God can do that. And she was healed. And she was interviewed afterward. And they're like, well, what were you aware? Could you? She's like, yeah, I was aware of everything. What did you do? I prayed. And she started listing all the things that she had prayed for that God answered and all of the miracles that had happened in and through the church, in and through their family. Because she was faithful with the gift that God gave her in praying instead of laying there feeling sorry for herself. What an example. What an example when every one of us walked in here this morning or was able to come to church, or was able to sit here and listen and able to communicate. Somebody doesn't have to feed us. What a gift. So, four things that God gives us talents, if you will. Stewardship and action, the talent of spiritual gifts. Talents of spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to walk through every single spiritual gift out there, like I said earlier, uh, but God gives them to us. Okay, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, just as each one of us has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. This is a verse we looked at a couple of weeks ago. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. God has given each one of us a spiritual gift. Matt, I don't know what it is. Ask God to show you. And there's a really good chance that you're already doing it. A lot of times, it's something that you're just naturally good at and you enjoy doing. And so, I would just encourage you to take a step back, ask people who love you and know you, what do you think it is? And there's a really good chance it's already right there and you know what's going on. We can all pray. The talent, so to speak, of time we have been given time. What are we going to do with that time? 
A lot of us have very busy lives. We would claim to be busier than maybe we really are if we honestly looked at our calendars. If we threw all of our calendars up here and just took turns looking at them, and if they were documented in five-minute increments, I bet we could all point out on each other's calendars that there, there are moments in our lives that are wasted. I know you could with mine. There are moments in our lives that are wasted. Now, am I saying that every single spare second you have, you can't watch a movie? No, not saying that. See, God may want you to have time of rest on the river, in the woods, with a needle and thread, maybe even watching a show. I don't know. But would we be willing to say, God, I have spare time unexpectedly right now. 30 minutes, an hour, 10 minutes. What would you have me do with it? You gave this to me. And he may say, hey, go to the woods. You love it there. Just bring me with you. Just bring me with you. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says to pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Anybody disagree with that? The days are evil? No. Just flip on the news. I can't even, I can't even watch news right now. I might hit the app and hit the highlight stories once a week. As it just wears me out. I just trust that God's got that. I'm not wanting to live in denial or oblivion about how corrupt the world is. But at the same time, if I'm going to go down the tube by watching it, or listening to it, or paying attention to it, that's not where I need to be. The talent, stewardship in action, the talent of our bodies, our physical bodies. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. The price being Jesus Christ, the Son of God's death on the cross. So glorify God with your body. Now this verse is taken out of the context of talking about sexual immorality specifically. I believe it also has to do with our physical and mental health as well. Sexual immorality, let me define that for you so there's no question. Anything imagined, lust, carried out in action by yourself or with another person, with someone other than your spouse. Anything imagined, carried out in action by yourself or with another person, with someone other than your spouse. Spouse being who you married. Marriage is between a man and a woman. As far as our physical and mental health, I could probably make better healthy lifestyle. I, sh- I can, not probably. I can make better healthy choices for the well-being of my body. There were times, especially, well, not even that far ago, but I like to blame my younger self, right, because I was dumber then, that I did things and chose to do things that were just foolish. And so today, when I move boxes for part of a day, in the midst of moving, my knees look like volleyballs when I'm done (laughs) because of things I chose to do when I was younger. Okay? 
Are there things we can choose to do with our physical body so that we would be mentally more clear, have more energy, be less sick to serve the Lord better with? Diet, exercise, all of those things. Elijah had a pretty good diet, right? We looked at that last week. Only eat what the birds bring you. If you weren't here, check it out. It's in 1 Kings. <laughs> the stewardship and action, the talent of money and resources. You're all like, all right, here he goes. I'm preaching it because it's in the Bible. And I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but there are over 2,400 verses in scriptures that deal with money and possession. Over 2,400 verses. More than heaven, more than hell, more than prayer. Why is that? Why would God spend so much time on our money and our possessions telling us about that? Well, I believe because money and materialism is our greatest source and temptation for idolatry. Matthew 6.24 tells us plainly that we cannot serve two masters. And he's not talking about, uh, you know, two different bosses. He's not talking about God and hunting or God and cooking or he's talking about God and money. Specifically comparing and contrasting money as an idol and a God for us versus God. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, it's the root of all kinds of evil. That at the root of all kinds of evil is our greed and desire to have control through money. Malachi 3.10 says this, Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. This is God speaking to his people. He says, Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Guys, God says, test me in this. Bring it on. Now, I'm not saying that you have to tie the tenth, necessarily. God asked his people this, yes. I've not done enough studying to conclusively say that that's what we should always tithe. What I do believe 100% about giving is that it should be generously and sacrificially. So, 1% for one family, might be generously and sacrificially. 95% might be for another family. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Second Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. This is Paul telling the church in Corinth this. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God lives, God loves a cheerful giver. Are you seeing this? Again, the servants, going back to the parable. Out of love and eagerness, they invested what God had given them and presented it back to him. And guys, there has been seasons in my life where I have been a reluctant hesitant giver. 
And God convicted me of that several years back. And this, this, is, this is to share with you out of God working in my life, not as in look at me. Please take it that way. And God convicted me of that. And we started giving during a season in our life and the season of our finances where if you looked at us on paper, we should have been done. We should have been on the bankruptcy page of the newspaper. But God provided time and time again. So much so to the point where every time I go to the grocery store, still to this day, I walk in and go, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have enough money to buy groceries this week. Because that's how bad it was. <laughs> with people showing up on our doorstep with bags of groceries saying, God told me to give you this. <laughs> Nehemiah and I were eating breakfast at Chick-fil-A in Bentonville this last week. And divine appointment with a guy I hadn't seen in years and years and years. And we caught up for a minute and he ended up buying Nehemiah and I's breakfast and I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. You provided breakfast for us even. And, and we, we had the money in our account, but yet you chose to. And he said, well, you guys have father-son time. And he goes off and on his way out, he goes, hey, God told me to give you this. And dropped a pile of cash in my hand and said, use that for what God's doing at your church and in your calling. I'm like, God says, test me in this way. Guys, test him in this way. He will blow your mind. And I'm telling you right now, the funnest part is giving. <laughs> the fun is, it's not, oh, the funnest part is giving. And I, this isn't about so we can pad our budget. This is so we can do God's work. This is so we can do God's work on the river. This is so we can do God's work with the kids coming here for vacation Bible school. This is so you can be blessed and experience his joy and his favor in your life through your generosity. At the bottom of it all, guys, again, it's not about works. It's about his grace. But our stewardship and our works do reflect our faith in him. Do reflect our love for him. Christ is at the source of it all. He is our source. He is our source for mercy when we fail, wisdom to overcome, and strength to persevere. One of my favorite verses Psalm, sums it up well. Psalms 37.4 you can tell I'm tired of my tongue's not doing what I needed to do. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, for he will give you your heart's desire. Delighting in him, he is our source, he is our provider, he is our king. Time with prayer with him, time on the creek, in the wilderness, in the middle of a famine, like Elijah, with him. That is the delighting part. Our heart's desires, not, hey, I want a Ferrari. He's going to give me one. No, our heart's desires will line up with his. And that will be our stewardship. Do you see, do you see this progress here? 
delighting in God, time with him, your wills, your desires will line up with his. You won't be able to not help from being generous with your time, with your gifts, with your body, with your money and your resources. You'll be like the servants. Ooh, 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 look what I did. God, I did this for you. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Share in my joy. I'll leave you with this last quote. Jim Elliott, famous missionary. In fact, I think Paul brought this quote up in our Boggs meeting a couple weeks back. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The value of our life is based on our donation. So Lord, as we finish up our time here today, we acknowledge that you are our source of all good things, of our life, our very breath, our hope, our joy, and you give us gifts, Lord. You give us gifts to steward, to invest in your kingdom. And Lord, not only that, you, you enable us with your strength and your wisdom and your grace and your love to be good stewards of them. Lord, let our, let our hearts and our minds be such that we are delighting in you, that you change our will, our desire to line up with yours, so that when we have spare time, or even before that, when we're lining up our calendar, we say, Lord, how can I use this for you? When we get our paycheck, we go, Lord, this is yours. How can I use this for you? Lord, I love to serve people. How can I use this for you? We ask all these things in your precious Lord's name, the grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ's work on the cross for us. In your name, amen.